And so we're going to pick up in 1 Peter 2 in verse 13. I'm going to read through 20. I don't know that we'll get this far, but we'll get through at least through 17 for sure. So let's read this. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the King of Supreme or unto governors as unto them that are as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty as a cloak for maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants be subject to, to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. That means like the perverse or even the wicked. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you are buffeted for your faults you take, them, take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, that is acceptable with God. And so that's pretty much one theme there. But when it says at the, at the very end of verse 18, but as the servants of God. And to me, this is like the theme of the whole thought. This is the theme of the passage that we're doing what we do. Unpleasant things sometimes. Things that don't seem right. Things that don't seem fair. But it's well-pleasing to God. Amen? And we're doing it as the servants of the Lord. We always have to remember that if we're servants of the Lord, then we're truly free. Does that make sense? If you're servant to men, then you're still bound up. But if I'm really a servant of God, then I'm free from any other uh, tethering, any kind of thing that would tie me down. I have one allegiance, and it's to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that word servant actually means slave. You don't have to dig very far. It means a slave. And we think of slavery as being so, so undesirable and so cruel, and, and it can be. And it's not uh, at all an optimal uh, you know, relationship at all, or institution. But that's the, the, the term that over and over, not only here, but Paul uses this as well. He calls himself willingly a servant of the Lord, and that means a bond slave or a slave. And so uh, the Lord uses that word in His Word to describe our, our uh, complete submission to Him. Okay? A complete <laughs> surrender to Him. And slavery in the Roman day was the worst of the worst. I mean, slavery in the Roman Empire was big time and it was cruel and there was no getting out of it. Uh, you just died in it. Some people could rarely, it would happen, they could uh, purchase their freedom if they got enough money to do so. Most by far did not do that. And if you tried to escape, there's a death penalty for that. You were just in that and yet the Bible uses that phrase or that word to describe our relationship with Jesus Christ. Not the only phrase. We're friends of God and so forth. Okay, But still, it's used. And you might think that uh, Jesus would have spent His time on earth when He was here living in Rome in the midst of the slavery. You might have thought, well, He would spend His time fighting against slavery, like making a, a social change. But He did not. You never read anywhere that he did that, nor are his servants called to do that. I will say this, it does not mean we can't get involved in politics or in our culture or in society and have positions of leadership. And if we have the influence, 
by God's grace to help make something better, then by all means, I think we should do that. But that is secondary. That is not primary. Primary is to go into all the world and preach this gospel. That is teaching them to observe whatsoever I've commanded you. And so these apostles of the Lord, for example, who called themselves servants of the Lord and called us as the believers servants or slaves to the Lord, they spent their time going around quietly, I guess you would say, uh, trying to turn men from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. That's what they're doing. And by so doing, think about this, by so doing, when somebody's getting saved and teaching them, honestly, the words of Jesus that in Christ there's not a slave or a master. So by men getting saved, these things are, these wrongs are righted. These ills of society are fixed because uh, I read where one man said that in, in the, the climate of Christianity where men are being turned from darkness to light, okay? It's, it's, it's a, a world or a culture, I guess you would say, that's impossible for slavery to exist. It's not just a point of passing laws. The Lord is always dealing with the heart of man. The principle more than the politics. That is what's important to the Lord. And so he lived in an era with the most horrible, cruel slavery on the planet. The Roman Empire. And he walked the streets up and down where that was going on all around him. And never did he uh, start a petition or a drive to, to abolish slavery, okay? Or to stop drunkenness or to stop prostitution or anything else. Honestly, the, the work is, is, needs to be done in the hearts of men. It's out of the heart of men that precede all these evils. And so the Lord Jesus goes right, excuse the pun, to the heart of the matter, and he deals with the hearts of men. Because when a heart of a man is changed, or a woman, for example, she's not going to want to have an abort her child. You know what I'm saying? She's not going to want, or he or she is not going to want to commit adultery on their spouse. We're going to have to start a campaign against it. Uh, again, if, if we're put in a position of leadership or politics or, or maybe choosing curriculum for a school or something like that, we have an influence for the Lord there to, to better something, by all means we should exercise it in that way. Okay, but that's secondary, uh, not primary. And so God wants to deal with individual souls, amen? Individual souls that make up society. And that's what He's doing. And so let's get back to this. Just uh, we're staying in this thought of slavery for just a minute. How that we're slaves to the Lord or servants to the Lord, and it has to do with our, the recognition of His absolute authority over our lives. We need to reconcile, recognize that when we said "I do" to the Lord, you know, the Bible describes in one instance in Ephesians, for example, uh, that uh, salvation is like a marriage, right? where we're forsaking all others and we're committing ourselves fully to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, the, from the moment you said, or I said I do to the Lord, to give my life to Jesus for Him to save me from my sin. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I want my sins forgiven. I want to walk with the Lord. Uh, I want to be a child of God. And we give our lives to the Lord. All that comes with that. A lot of times we think about Him being Savior and maybe we don't think so often about Him being Lord. But it's hand in hand. They go together. And He purchased us with His own blood. There was a price that was paid. We've talked about it in chapter 1. 
And so uh, we call Him Lord and we call Him Master. You do well. Okay? We do well by calling Him Master because He is our Master. But how often do we think about what does the term mean? That He is my Master and I am His bondservant or slave. We oftentimes, and I include myself in this, that we oftentimes will go through life as a Christian, we believe the doctrine, we believe it, we truly are saved, and yet sometimes, and maybe oftentimes in life, we'll choose a path that we want, we'll ask the Lord to bless it. I'm not talking about some horrible sinful path, we'll just choose a path, or friends, or spouse, whatever it may be, and we'll ask the Lord to bless it. When that's not the relationship of Him being Master and having absolute Lord. The relationship of slave to master is like Jesus in the garden, not as I will, but as thou will. In every situation, all through life, okay? All through life. And he's our owner. And I'm not embarrassed to say that. I don't think that's inappropriate to say that. The Bible says that he purchased us. And the Lord has exalted Jesus as Prince and Savior. And in, in Him being Prince and Savior and Lord of my life, then I need to do what He tells me to do. We can rest assured that He's not going to be cruel. When we think of slavery, and I think this is part of the problem sometimes, the hang-up, for those that do have a hang-up with that, is that we think, when we picture slavery, we think of the most cruel thing in the world, and, and the Master being the most cruel thing in the world to the slave. But that is, we're called slaves and bondservants, but yet our, our Savior died for us while we were sinners and loved us. The Father loved us so much He gave His only begotten Son. And so there's definitely a difference. The relationship is the same as far as who's in control, who's the authority. That's, it's about and who's submitted. But that's almost as far as it goes. He, he purchased us. That, that would equate to slavery. All the way to death, our whole life belongs to the Lord. That blood that He shed was the price that was paid. And yet, we're not submitting to some cruel taskmaster. Remember the Egyptians, you know, beating the, the Jewish slaves, and Moses was so wanted to defend his people, defend his people, and raise up and rose up and killed the, the taskmaster that was beating the Jewish servant. That's not what God wanted. It's not, it wasn't a, the point was not going to put an end to the Egyptian slavery by uprising. The Lord was going to bring him out with the high hand of God and, and the mighty hand of God. And as I said, uh, God wants to change hearts. If the heart is changed, then there's no place for that and other sins to live. People won't be uh, molesting children when they're born again. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, it just the heart is where sin comes out of in a man and where it proceeds from. And so, uh, I want to just read a quote from from author that I was reading. It said, it was do us good to again take the Gospels in hand. So open up the four Gospels and carefully study them with the one object of noticing their consistent appeal for obedience. Everything in the Christian life hinges on doing as we're told. And yet we hear so little of that in our day, in our churches. That doesn't, that doesn't offend me. You understand what I'm saying? That doesn't put me into bondage. I'm willingly a servant of the Lord. I chose Christ. He chose me. You understand what I'm saying? I'm glad that I chose Christ. I'm glad that that's the relationship. 
where I'm not calling the shots, but the Lord who's Alpha and Omega and knows everything, that He's calling it. And I can be good with that. Even when I don't understand something, a shot that He's calling in my life, or something He's doing, or even if He's causing me to walk through a dark night or a deep valley that's painful, and I'm saying, Lord, are you sure? You know, or is this really? You know, we can trust the Lord and be sure that He's got it under control. Ours is not to reason why. Ours is not to make reply. Ours but to do and die. So the rights, the, the Lord Jesus has the right to exercise that authority over our lives. Amen? Amen. And we can rest assured that there's going to be safety there. You understand what I'm saying? There's safety. When, when you get on an airplane to take a long trip, you might be nervous about flying. You might be nervous about flying over the Gulf of Mexico and you're for the next you know, thousand miles you're over the water or something like that. And you don't particularly like that. But I don't think I don't think most people are necessarily afraid that I sure hope this pilot knows what he's doing. You know? You get in the plane and you pretty much or you get in a taxi or whatever and you sit back and you, you're gonna engage in a conversation or something like that. And we ought to be able to above all things to put our whole lives into Jesus' hands and say, you know what? He'll take me through some dark places, high places, low places, scary places, wonderful places, but I'm with Him. And He's got it under control. We ought to be able to understand that there's great safety with the Lord like that. And I'm glad that we're safe with Him. And and listen, He says, if you're looking back at in uh, your Bible, it says we do this in chapter verse 13. Submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. And so this, again, this is the key to it. And he says that by well-doing, and he's talking about in life, I'm talking about not necessarily spiritual, but it is spiritual. Just give, go paying your taxes. You know what I'm saying? If a police officer pulls you over, uh, being respectful, you know, whatever whatever's going on, if your neighborhood has... Uh, you know, restrictions or whatever to to not try to just stir the pot for the sake of stirring the pot. To obey those commandments. I think taxes are way too high. Okay? In Baton Rouge, I think they're too high. And it really burns me up that people that don't own property vote to raise my taxes. And every time there's a tax raise, they're going to vote to raise them. But they don't pay them. You know, the people that own property. But you know what? Don't complain about it. Vote. We ought to vote. Get elected to an office if God calls you to do that. To try to make a change in that. That's fine. There's nothing sinful or wrong. In fact, that's a good thing. Be salt in the government and light in the city council or whatever. But at the same time, I can't just say, well, I refuse. I'm just not paying it. I wanted to give that money to a missionary. You see, God say, no, you submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And so there's things in life. This isn't our home. Amen? So it's not going to go perfectly. It's not going to go perfect. It doesn't go perfectly for a lost man either. You know, and, and I'm glad I know Jesus because I have a hope way beyond this world. And I got property that's going to be a lot prettier than this one. And weather that probably I would think is not going to be so hot. Okay? When we get there. And so uh, we're, we're bidden to do this for the Lord's sake. Okay? For the Lord's sake. He says, submit to every ordinance of man. Now, we want to clarify that as we go a little bit. But uh, sometimes when we're, we're compelled to submit, we think, why? This is so stupid. 
This is so unfair, like I said, with the taxes. And yet, it's almost like the Lord's whispering in our ear, do it for my sake. Just, just do it for me. Okay? Why, Lord? Because it's honoring to me. Because it's going to put to, uh, to silence the ignorance of ignorant men that think you Christians are just a bunch of uh, misfits, you know, and can't fit in anywhere or whatever. It's going to put that to silence when they speak evil of you. And so the Lord's saying, do it for my sake, okay? Do it for my sake. Do it as a testimony. Do it as a witness. And we're about to, we're so mad, we think it's so stupid, and we watch Fox News for five minutes, and we see what's going on. I'll always tell Dee, I can't watch it more than about five minutes. Not that it's not a good news station. And anything wrong is that I know what's going on before I turn it on. And I see it in black and white or color or whatever. I mean, I see it right there in front of me, and I'll say, I just got to, I can't take it anymore. And so uh, we can't change all that. But yet the Bible says to submit to that for the Lord's sake. Okay, in the early church, y'all, it was their accusations were brought. Early church in Rome. The Christians were hated. Y'all know that. They were most of them were Jewish to start with. They were outcasts by the Jews. We talked about in our study in Hebrews. They were outcasts by the Romans in that pagan environment. And there was all kinds of charges brought against the Christians that were not true. The charges such as uh, they want to subvert the government. They have no king but Jesus and they want to overthrow Caesar. And every time they're meeting in their little church house meetings or wherever they're meeting, they're really secretly plotting to overthrow Caesar. That was not true at all, was it? But yet those kind of uh, accusations were brought. <clears throat> and so uh, the Lord's saying, look, put that, you can put that to silence, at least in part. You can put it to silence by showing that you're you're not that way. You know what I mean? Uh, we just had a thing uh, about a month or two ago in our neighborhood. They're, they're going <clears> to, <throat> you know, before the planning commission, they're going to do a little development here at the end of our street. A lot of our neighbors were opposed to it. I was actually opposed to it because they're talking about putting a through, big through street back there and, and things like that. We're worried about flooding because it's built up so high. Anyway, so we, we um, a lot of the people in our neighborhood went down to, to the planning commission to try to stand against it. I was not opposed to that. They just did it on a Wednesday night and I couldn't go. But the point was I was saying, yeah, I agree with you. You know, if we can stop this, let, let's stop it. I don't think it's the best for the drainage. We almost flooded in the flood. It got that close. And, and so anyway, it passed anyway. It, it got through and they're going to build it. So, uh, but, but the point is that we, we do what we do for the Lord's sake, and showing maybe my neighbors that I'm not just a total, you know, misfit, that I'm engaged in stuff like that and aware of what's going on. I think it's it's important. You know, the Bible says that we're to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, right? Jesus taught us that. That was specifically talking about money in that instance, paying a tribute or a tax. Tribute to whom tribute, custom to whom custom, you know, honor to whom honor is due. We are we're to do that. And so, again, it, it, it puts to silence at least part of the accusations against us that we just can't be reasoned with or something like that. And these were some of the accusations that were brought against the Christians. And I thought this was interesting. Tertullian, who was a, a historian at that time during the Roman Empire, 
with the early church, he, he contrasted, he noted and wrote down in contrast, and he was not a Christian, okay? But he contrasted the difference between the, the Christians in the Roman Empire and the, what you just say, the heathen or the pagans. And he said the heathens loved the, uh, the gladiators and they loved the, loved the spilling of the blood and they'd pack out the, uh, the big arena to watch it. Christians, he noted, were for excommunicated from their church if they went to it, okay? There was a difference. And he said when, the, uh, when there was a big plague that broke out, all the, the heathen or the pagans, they abandoned their family members because they didn't want to get the sickness. So they left them and they fled because they didn't want the plague. The Christians went and ministered to them. When the pagans uh, were injured on the battlefield or their friends or family were injured on a, in a battlefield, they left them. The Christians went out and got their bodies and buried them. You understand what I'm saying? It's making a difference to where... Uh, yeah, they're talking and talking and, and, and speaking evil of the church and of Christians, but it, you know that kind of thing could put it to silence. And that's what he says. It would put to silence this ignorance and these accusations of foolish men. Does that mean we'll never be accused falsely? No, that's not what he's saying. But you can put up to rest a lot of that. You know, Maybe some will be saved by that. Maybe somebody who had the plague in that day said, well, these people take enough time to love me. My own kinfolk ran off and abandoned me because they were scared and didn't want to get the play. You know, it makes a difference, right? And so that's what we're called to do. Now I want to talk about this for just a minute. There are limits. When it says submit, and I'm kind of covering this whole passage like in one thought, all right? When he says in verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord, the Lord's sake. <clears throat> and he, he lists them out, the king, the governors, and so forth. There is a limit to that. And the limit is this, and I would say it's only this, okay? The limit is when it involves things with our conscience, and it involves things of eternity or spiritual, okay? Like in, in uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The law of the land was when you hear the instruments sound, you will fall down and worship this idol. We all know the story. That was the law. That was the, the commandment of the king as supreme that's being spoken of here. And yet, they did not bow down. They obeyed the Lord because there's a supreme over that supreme. There always is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And He has that lordship over our lives. So when it deals, when it comes to the law of the land and a conflict between the law of the land compelling you or me to do something that is unbiblical, unscriptural, ungodly, against our conscience that God's given us, that's where we draw the line. That's where we say no, but only there. They keep increasing our taxes and we hate it, and it, we don't get to go on our vacation. It took all my vacation money to pay on taxes. You understand what I'm saying? Those things are cruel and hard, but that is the type of thing, we just have to submit to that. Work to change it if you can. But otherwise, we submit to things like that. The government put out a curfew and said, everybody's got to be in, locked in their homes by 10 o'clock at night. You know, we hate that. We totally disagree with it. You know, maybe there's a bunch of hoodlums that are, are vandalizing the city, and so they make everybody stay indoors. And you think, well, I'm not the one doing that. We have to submit to that. Okay? But when it comes to a matter of conscience, 
You can't worship the Lord anymore. You can't assemble together anymore to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to China right now. The churches, the real churches, there's a state-run church where the state approves every sermon that's preached and it has to pass through them. Then there's a real church of the living God that's meeting underground and in caves, literally, and out in the forest and in the dead of night and moving from place to place so they're not caught. They have people watching out and sometimes they do get caught. And so they're not going to obey the government when it comes to that. So y'all understand that. But, but as far as just things that we don't like, we don't agree with, uh, we think are unfair, that are uh, costly or whatever, we have to yield. This world's not our home. The Lord's whisper in our ear, do it for my sake. Do it for my sake. Do it for my sake. And so, again, <clears throat> there's a limit to that. And we saw it with the apostles. We saw it with Peter and John when they were persecuted for preaching the Gospel, standing outside the temple. They were arrested. They were brought before council. They were threatened and commanded not to preach or teach in that name any longer. Well, you, you judge, they said, whether it be right in the eyes of God to hearken unto you rather than God. But we, for we cannot but speak the things that we've seen and heard. And they let him go, and they went and preached the gospel again. They brought him back and beat him. They preached the gospel again. They're thrown in prison. The angel lets them out of prison, and they go and preach the gospel. And right after they were out of prison, they were found in the same temple, in the same place, preaching the gospel again. Okay? So it's telling us very clearly when it comes to our Christianity and things that are spiritual and things that thus saith the Lord, that we know in our heart of hearts would be an offense to God if I did this. We cannot. And it's been a blessing in our country, the freedoms that we've had. It's very rare. You get used to it, but it's very rare if you travel this whole planet to find such freedom to worship the Lord Jesus Christ like we do. It's being... Uh, Certainly Satan is trying to take that from us. But uh, so there, there is a limit though. And we, we need to watch that. And not only do if we, if we don't go along for God's sake, like Peter and John, we also need to have the strength and realize that there are consequences that come from that. They were beaten and let go. They were thrown in prison. The angel let them out. Some people were not let go. Some people die in prison. Some people like the, the martyrs you read about in Fox's book of martyrs to the man, they're being burned at the stake. They're being uh, tied to uh, stakes out on the beach at, at low tide and waiting for the high tide to come in to drown them. This is how they were dying. And they were doing it because they would not submit to the king's decree and to what was going on. Not because they had to pay too much taxes, but because for God's sake and for conscience' sake, they could not. Now I will say this, it does not necessarily mean that we have to be at odds with society all the time. Now we are strangers and pilgrims, right? We understand that, but there are examples in the Bible and maybe some examples in this room right here of people that have, in the world, so to speak, as believers, God has allowed you to find great favor and to prosper in a great way where you are. I think in the Bible about uh, Joseph, in the Old Testament, hated by his brothers, they were jealous, they sold him in slavery. But in the, as a slave in Potiphar's house, what did he, he didn't buck against and try to escape. 
He served as a slave in Potiphar's house. He found great favor and Potiphar gave him charge over everything. There was Potiphar and then Joseph was the next in command. He made him the, uh, the, in charge of everything that he had to do with his household. And then when he gets thrown into prison and falsely accused, he doesn't try to escape from prison and, and organize a prison riot. He serves in prison. We don't even know how long. And guess what? God calls him to find favor and he was promoted. And he was over all the other prisoners in the prison. He's still a prisoner. Still didn't smell good. The food probably wasn't good. He could say this is unjust, this is unfair, but we don't read about him doing that. He was just submitted to it. And then God took him from being a prisoner, literally in a moment, or matter of moments, to being the prime minister of the most powerful nation on the planet. Being prime minister of Egypt. And he found favor there. He found favor with Pharaoh and all the people bowed down to Joseph and so forth. But so it doesn't have to be that we're always button heads. We just serve where we can serve. We submit to every ordinance that we can without compromising our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in Christianity. We're not going through life looking for the easiest path. We're going through life looking at Jesus wherever it takes me. He may take me through the hardest path. I might look at Chris is really blessed as a Christian in his workplace and somebody else is over here and they're really going through turmoil, but specifically because of their Christianity and their work environment. You know, somebody's a college professor and they don't believe in evolution. They, they dare to mention the name of Jesus in a college class and they get fired or they get passed over for a promotion or they get ridiculed and so forth. This happens. It happens in our country in our day. Somebody else is blessed and they get promoted and they're a strong Christian. The point is, we don't. neither one of it really matters. Just keep your eyes on the Lord. Do what the Word of God tells us. And, and the Bible says, honor all men. Back in the passage, honor all men in verse 17. Love the brother, brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the King. When it says honor all men, it means to value or esteem. You might have somebody really uh, ungodly, uh, like we talked about Ahab, King Ahab last week in, on Sunday morning. And yet, there's still a, a, a measure of honor and value for the person. Created in God's image still. Loved by the Lord still. Even though he's lost and doesn't know the Lord and wicked. So there, there's an honor that we're to give to all men. I guess you would say a respect that we are to have for all men. And then when it says, fear God, honor the King and fear God at the end of 17, True love for the Lord. The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear, right? But it doesn't mean that there's not still to be a healthy fear of God because we're taught that all through the Bible. Genesis to Revelation. What it does mean is it casts out that fear that has torment. There is a fear that has torment. I wonder if God loves me. I wonder if I'm really going to go to heaven. I'm a Christian, but I told a lie today. I wonder if God's going to forgive me. I wonder if He... I'm, I'm going to miss heaven because of that. I wonder if God's rejected me. And somebody living in fear like that all the time, all the time. I thought this thought and it wasn't of God. I got jealous. I got angry. Uh, whatever. Without a cause. And, and there's a torment in that. Perfect love that God loves us with casts that out. It casts out the fear that has torment. In place of it, perfect love is going to instill in the heart of a believer a true holy fear of God that's healthy, that's good. It must be there. 
It has to be there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, wisdom, understanding. And it doesn't stop there. The fear of the Lord is a healthy uh, thing that, that must be there. Okay? And so, every step, one, one author said, every step in the growth of our holiness, our personal holiness, will be measured by the increase of this fear, this holy fear. If you want to grow in your personal holiness, it's going to be in conjunction with, I guess, our, our holy reverential fear of God. Not to where we get so... Uh, yes, we're comfortable with the Lord, but not to where we get lax in obeying the Lord and remembering that He's Lord and I'm not Lord. You understand what I'm saying? That there's not, it's a perfect love that casts out that fear with torment, torment, but there's a holy fear that God wants us to have. And so when it says here, it ends this little passage with honor, honor all men, love the brotherhood, that's the Christian brothers, fear God, honor the king. And if we are, if we are to honor the king, which we are, whoever's in authority in our land, uh, there's an honor there. We can pray for them if they're lost. We obey them as far as, as we're not having to disobey the Lord. Right, but if we're to obey them, how much more are we to obey and honor the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? Right, uh, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things. For Thy pleasure, Thy uh, they are and were created. He redeemed us to God by His own blood. The Bible says, and so we surrender and submit uh, gladly to that. Gladly to that. And I want to move on just. Try to cover this last part very quickly. When it says 18 through 19, it kind of is along the same thoughts, but now he's talking about servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle. Wouldn't it be wonderful that every master, every employer, every slave owner, if there are still, uh, which there are in this planet somewhere, were gentle and good, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy. That literally means that the Lord is saying thank you when we're doing it. If a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, this is the key. For what glory is it if when you're buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, that is acceptable with God. So the whole passage of everything we've talked about tonight, whether it's submitting to an ordinance that we don't like, Okay, or to an employer or a master that we don't like, that's not kind, that's unfair. The whole point is we do it as unto the Lord. We have to keep reminding ourselves that. It's not just me and this boss that's so impossible to please. It's not just me and him. The Lord's in the picture. And for God's sake, that He might... For, just because it pleases God and it's thankworthy to Him, but also that it's a testimony and a witness to them. They keep treating you wrong, and yet you endure it, um, not like a coward, you know, hiding out in the corner, but for the Lord's sake. You endure it patiently for the Lord's sake. He's going to end all this really soon, y'all. You understand what I'm saying? We're going to be raptured, we'll be out of here, or we're going to die and go be with the Lord forever, and we won't even remember it. 99% of this foolishness that we went through. But we, let's just walk honestly with the Lord even when it's hard, y'all. Even when it's difficult to do that. And so, anybody can suffer when we're buffeted for our faults. 
if I didn't do something, I'm consistently late to work or to school or whatever. I didn't get my paper or turned on in on time to school. And the teacher gives me a zero for that on my grade. Or I have to stay late at work to make up for being, you know, late at work because I'm late every day for this, this week. And, the, and that's what was, was handed out to me. I can't say, well, I'm just bearing my cross. You understand what I'm saying? No, Christians ought to be the most excellent employees on the planet. Employers as well. But here we're talking about employees, okay? We ought to be the best citizens to Caesar. Rendering to Caesar what's Caesar. You don't have to look out for us and worry. What are those Christians doing? We're going to be faithful. We're going to, we're going to be the law-abiding ones. We're going to do what's right. Unless you cross the line and try to get us to worship an idol or something like that. Okay. Same here. When you're buffeted for your faults. And so, do you remember when David's son Absalom uh, <clears throat> rose up and for a time there took the kingdom from him, right? And what did David do? He packed up his stuff and those that were faithful to him and he left. He just kind of quietly left. He could have commanded an army. There's a lot of things he could have done. Absalom had his followers. It was definitely God gave him the throne. It was his to have. But he left quietly saying, if the Lord's pleased, He'll bring me back. He'll put me back on the throne if God, if that's His desire. And there was a guy named Shimei, I think, that was went, going along, and as he's, he's down kind of walking on the road, there's a guy up on a hill throwing rocks and dirt and dust and throwing it down on King David's head. Total disrespectful and cursing him as he went, as he's leaving town. He's already sad. It's his own son that's taking the throne. This is not the happy day for David. And he's slipping out of town, just quietly going. And here's a guy going to add salt to the wound and he's throwing rocks at him and cursing him out as he's going. And one of David's servants said, you want me to get my sword and go take the head off this fella? And David says, no, let him alone. God sent him to curse David. Let him curse. You know what I mean? He, did, he just he put everything in God's hands. That doesn't mean we never defend ourselves or something like that. But in an instance like this, he just, he just totally yielded to the Lord. Guess what? God did bring him back to his throne. God deal, did deal with Shimei later. Um, but, the, but the point is that he submitted to that. Amen? And so, um, but when we're buffeted for well-doing, now this, I, I wrote in my notes, this is otherworldly. Anybody can, to a measure, can take it when you're buffeted for your own faults. Right? There's no real glory in that. You did wrong. Here's, a, you know, you 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 goofed off, and we're talking when the coach was talking in practice, and you were late for practice, and you forgot your cleats. You got to run five poles. That's pole foul line, you know, pole to pole. And so they're out there, and they got ten poles. And so that's that was their punishment. There's no glory in that. Just take it patiently. Okay, the way you're supposed to. But when you do right and you're punished for it and you take it patiently, that has to be something besides you're just a really swell guy and you can take it. It has to be the Lord. It has to be, it is otherworldly. To genuinely, I was right. This person was wrong. I was accused of being wrong. I'm getting hammered for it and punished for it, 
And if people that really did something wrong are getting off scot-free over here or whatever it may be, and you take that patiently because the Lord's saying, do it for me. Do it for me. Do it for my sake. That's thankworthy. It's acceptable to God. He's already in heaven saying, yes. He'll deal with the sinners over here. He'll, he'll right the wrong when it's time to right the wrong. But you know what He's trying to do now? He's trying to do something in my life. And he's trying to bring a testimony out of me that this world knows nothing about because that is otherworldly. To take it when you did right and I'm punished for doing right and I'm punished wrongly for doing right, that is not normal. It's not normal, but it's honoring to the Lord. We take it patiently. Amen? We take it patiently. And so, um, God, God is honored by that. He's pleased with that. And I just want to kind of close with this thought. It's acceptable to God. In the Greek, that says thankworthy. As I said earlier, it's God saying thank you. That's what it says. Saying thank you to sinful men like us because we took it. Jesus, when He was reviled, reviled not again. Jesus, when... Uh, you know, didn't open his mouth. He could have brought out all kinds of self-defense at his mock trial because it was a mock trial. It wasn't a real trial, right? But we saw that as a, as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. But couldn't he have? Wasn't he God Almighty? The Ancient of Days in the flesh submitting himself to wicked people just laughing and mocking, plucking his beard out, hammering a, a crown of thorns into his head, while he's bleeding and making spitting upon him, when he's thirsty, they give him a rot. Well, the vinegar was basically like spoiled wine to drink. It was a mockery up on a sponge, and he could have done anything he wanted. At least said a few things, and he didn't. He said, "Father, to to I commit my spirit to you." He prayed, and then he died. And so, we are as he is, so are we in this world. That's the key to this. It's all. And again, I'm closing. That that it would be. Uh, Honoring to the Lord. It's Christ in us. It's for His glory. It's for His purposes. Amen. And so, uh, I just thought this was, was interesting. God, God's going to bring to light the hidden things of darkness. The Bible says, He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. And so we can afford knowing that. Do we know that? You see what I'm saying? Do we know that Scripture? Do we know that truth? That when it's all said and done, God's going to right every wrong. Everything that you or I suffered wrongfully, He will take care of that and make it right. Every lie that was told about us, when we're just trying to live for God, He's going to fix that. He's going to right it. But in one sense, it almost won't matter by then. You know what I mean? It almost won't matter. But... Uh, we're, we're happy when we suffer for the Lord. And I, I was reading this. So when a Greek schoolmaster taught writing, he's teaching a little kid, his pupil, to write. He made the letters very faintly, very, very faintly on the paper, and then the scholar would write over his. And I thought that was a good example about what the Lord's done. His life is an example. We'll talk about that more next week. But we're just kind of tracing and following 
in His steps. We're not reinventing the wheel. We're not reinventing Christianity. He's given us the example to follow in His footsteps. And when He was reviled, He reviled not again. Again, we're going to talk about that more next week. But we bear it patiently. God's honored by that. And I'm going to close with this thought that this, the sinful behavior of one relation, Matthew Henry said this, doesn't justify the sinful misbehavior of the other. So the, the master is cruel to the slave. The employer is unfair, literally unfair to the employee. Unjust, right? It's not just. It's not of the Lord. But the sinful behavior on their part does not justify the sinful behavior on my part. Doesn't mean I can't sometimes as God leads me to open my mouth or defend myself to some extent. But understand that there's no place I can say, well, my wife is so this, this, and this, and, and I have a wonderful wife. My wife is so this, this, and this that that's why I act this way to her. Or my boss is such a jerk. When he's gone, I do slip out 30 minutes early on a Friday and don't tell him. Or I can steal, you know, I'm underpaid. So I'm going to steal a little bit out of the stock when he's not there. And I feel justified in doing it. And I'm a Christian. Okay? Their sinful behavior in no way justifies my sinful behavior. God will deal with them. And aren't you glad He'll deal with it? He knows how to deal with it. He wants to save them, but if they're not saved, they'll answer for that. Okay? And so we can just trust the Lord. He's going to bring forth your righteousness as the noonday. That's what he says. I'm glad. He's going to put it all on display. My righteousness is only Christ's righteousness in me. But it, to the measure that I've kept my eyes on the Lord by faith and walk with the Lord when maybe we're blasphemed by the world and maybe even by many in the church, he's going to clear all the dust and he's going to set it up and it'll be seen for what it is. And so I'm just thankful that God's able to do that. I want to change, uh, close by reading this. Turn with me, with me, if you would, to James chapter 5. You know, Christians are to go the extra mile. When you think that's pretty much a theme of what we're saying here, it's one of the things that sets us apart. Everybody doesn't go the extra mile, but Jesus said if they compel you to go a mile, go with them too. And it, it sets us apart. Look at James chapter 5. We'll close with this. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. The world has no conception of the coming of the Lord and that I'm actually waiting for it. But we are. Okay? Behold, the husbandman, that's a farmer, waits for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. And so, uh, he gives the prophets for an example, but we're to establish our hearts. Take it, but don't take it like a coward. Don't take it like a weakling. Take it like Jesus did, knowing this is pleasing to God. There's a reason I'm taking it. It's not because I'm a wimp. I'm taking it because my God said to take it. And it's pleasing to Him. Think worthy to Him. He's thankful that I'm doing it. Okay? So I just want to, to close with that, y'all. And let's just trust the Lord. Everybody is mistreated. Join the, join the club. We're not having a pity party. It's just life. It's just life. And so we do it and we submit to it patiently for the Lord's sake. Amen. He's going he's gonna to fix it all when it's time. So Father, we just come before You. 
in the mighty name of Jesus. And thank you that you've given us Christ as that example that we should follow in his steps. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us, God, when we feel that we need to demand our rights all the time and we need to tell everybody the truth and try to get them to see we're doing right and we're not wrong. And Lord, we're, we're living through that now, a lot of us, God, even within the church. But Father, we're trusting You. We're trusting, God, Your wisdom. We're trusting that, like Abraham said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. You're going to do right. But You said we're to submit to every ordinance of man and to suffer wrongfully for the Lord's sake. That by our well-doing, we might silence the, our accusers, God. For our testimony. I pray, God, that You'd fill us with a fresh new feeling of Your Spirit tonight. I pray, God, that You would be lifted up, God. And the more we're persecuted, or wrongly accused or suffered, God, that You would strengthen and comfort us in that and that Jesus would be seen more in our lives. Increase our faith, God, to where we see it's beyond our current circumstances that You have a life for us, an eternity for us, and it's blessed, and it's wonderful. And there won't be any injustices there or anything like that, God. Help us and teach us as mature believers to, to take it patiently, God. For Jesus' sake. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Just take some time to pray. Maybe just a few minutes to get with the Lord, to kneel down by the pew, kneel down where you are, get up and walk around as God would lead you to, and take just a few moments. Whatever God has spoken to you through this word tonight, through his message, that we would receive it. We would not be forgetful hearers, but we'd be doers of the word. Take that word and, and lay hold on it. And say, God, I, I get it. I understand. Make this my life. Do this in my life. I don't want to forget what I've heard tonight. And let the Lord teach you. Let the Lord show you and make this real to your life and my life.